Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. happening i am back thank you for being patient and thank you for sending me messages on social media asking how i'm doing i'm doing good and uh my son has been away at school now for a few weeks and my only kid my only son and preparing for that moment when he leaves the nest and the time after was um was a big impact on my lifestyle and just because my time was always so much wrapped up into his that uh, the adjustment was uh, a little <laughs> a little tougher than I had originally thought. So I took a few weeks off, been taking time off this summer in large part because I wanted to spend time with him because I knew this moment was going to happen. But he is off in Old Miss in Oxford, Mississippi. Just went to his first SEC football game. So I'm not going to see him till Thanksgiving. But it's time to get back to podcasting and time to get back to rock music, talking rock music. And you guys know I always enjoy it. So I'm going to be firing away at the episodes here as much as I've done in the past and getting back on the saddle. And... uh it's like riding a bike, right? But once again, as I always mention, it's been a while since I mentioned it, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, an incredible network of music podcasts that has something for everyone's taste and different types of formats and different types of topics discussed on all of the podcasts and check them out at pantheonpodcast.com as well as on Twitter, social media, I'm sorry, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the 
Pantheon Pods or at Pantheon Pods. I say at the Hook Rocks. PantheonPodcast.com is the website. And you can check out the Hook Rocks on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and also Threads. Still trying to figure out that app. Not happy they don't have a desktop version because I don't like to type a lot on my phone because I always mess up. But check out us on all those social media platforms at the Hook Rocks. And don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get all the episodes right to your phone, especially the new ones. And you can go back. We've got over 500 episodes. We've been doing this for four years now or over four years. So there's plenty for you to listen to. We had a great episode with Nick Perry. One thing I realized while talking to Nick is I need to have Nick Perry on my podcast more because he's so engaging. He's so open about a lot of things. And it was just a great, great conversation. We also featured Gods of Sometimes with their talking their debut album, as well as another new music spotlight with Juliana Amaral from the band Band Inc. She's got a lot in store. Such a sweet gal. Um, really rooting for her. She's out of Boston. So check out those episodes and also the new music spotlight with Julia Lauren from the Foxies. And we welcome Christine Eagle talking about the impact of AI chat GPT in the music industry, as well as a further discussion on the Ticketmaster Live Nation monopoly that is still going on. And we had a Senate hearing here three, four months ago, I want to say, and there hasn't been any changes as to what's happening. And hopefully I put in an interview request with the Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois, who is the head of the Judiciary Committee for the Senate, because I want to ask him what's going on, because I think it's important for music fans and concert goers to find out if the government's going to step in and break up this monopoly that is Ticketmaster and Live Nation. It's time again, though, for another live music album review. We do these once a quarter, and we always get a fantastic response on these episodes. We started out a couple years ago. Has it been that long? Yeah, a couple years ago with Thin Lizzy, Live and Dangerous, and we featured other live albums such as Live After Death from Iron Maiden, Kiss Alive, Strangers of the Night by UFO, Unleashed in the East by Judas Priest, and so many others. We just did Cheap Trick live at Budokan, and as well as many others. So go check out all those episodes and look back in our catalog. There are great discussions about the albums, great discussions about the you know the story behind some of the albums too as well. And we do definitely enjoy doing it because it's a great avenue to talk about live music, especially with bands that you never were able to see. And capturing performances that are just out of this world. And we always do it with one of my favorite Twitter followers and always always has great insight on the albums and great knowledge about the subject matter. And that is Rob in the hood. And he is at the recidivist on Twitter. His link will be in the notes of the show. What's happening, man? How are you? Hey, Jay. I'm doing okay. It's a pretty significant buildup. I kind of feel nervous that I don't like stumble here with some of that uh, complimentary language you just used. <laughs> well, hey, it's well-deserved, and I, I'm sure you won't stumble. <clears throat> we'll see. <laughs> but here we are, man. I mean, it's been a bit. It's been three months, I think, since we did our last one, which I think was Cheap Trick, right? I, yeah, that's, that's right. Um, yeah. It's funny. It, it seems like we were just talking about it. The yeah. summer slipped away from me uh, pretty quickly, but 
yeah, that was that was a great album to talk about, um, especially with some of the uh, um, ancillary material that's available after the original release, because you always get like these bonus editions to get extra tracks on them. And there's some of that's available for the subject from today, too, which is uh, uh, the No Sleep Till Hammersmith album, which I'm pretty excited about. I'm really, you know, the uh, Motorhead came through the area where I live about six months before Lemmy died. And I kicked myself for not having gone to that show. It was, uh, it wasn't far away from me at all. I could have easily gone and it was like in the middle of the week. And I thought, well, uh, I'll catch them the next time. And man, you just don't ever know uh, when that next time might never happen. And so it, I, that, that's what I really like the live album experience. Cause it helps capture some of that stuff that maybe you missed. I agree. Motorhead is the one band I never saw live one of the bands I never saw live. And I had the opportunity to go in the last two tours, last two times I came to Chicago and something was, you know, taken away, you know, from me going and I had something come up. And again, you always think, Oh, I'll see him on the next tour. And yeah, you never know. And uh disappointing because I would love to have seen him a big motorhead fan. I've been to the rainbow. I've seen the Lemmy statue in fact, my son, who we were just talking about, had his picture taken next to it uh, when he was 12 and actually sat in Lemmy's seat. That's still the seat that he sat in Yeah. Um, when he would go to the Rainbow. He would get mail at the Rainbow. So it, that's actually pretty cool. He lived down the street in a in an apartment down there. He was always there, and he was a staple of that establishment, and he's part of the lore of the Rainbow, You know, especially in now the later years here over the last – 25 years he's part of that that history of of that of of the rainbow which is known for so much so many great moments with rock stars over the years but yeah like you said i would love to have seen motorhead i heard they were incredibly loud um and so much energy and i think that's the probably the first thing we're going to talk about with no sleep till hammersmith is that energy i mean yeah. The the album has what eleven songs on it. The original release, that's yeah. correct. And I think it runs about thirty minutes, maybe uh, forty. Forty minutes and thirty one seconds yeah, is the original. Yeah. Which yeah. for a live album, I mean, the one thing about Motorhead is their songs are quick and to the point. They don't mess around, which is why I think Chris Corradetti would love them because he can't <laughs> he can't handle a song over six minutes. That's gentleman that does the uh quarterly album reviews so but yeah i mean it's a it's a quick live album and it's just balls to the wall energy where from the moment the first guitar lick with ace of spades into the last track it's just it's just monumentous in terms of or monumental i should say it's monumental in terms of the performance in terms of just the history of the band because they were Largely unknown in the United States because they were big in the UK and they were really underground in the United States. Yeah, I think that um, Motorhead really didn't come to my attention until probably about 1983 or so. Um, it's it was I remember being in my first year of high school and I was talking to a classmate who went to go see them. And, uh, and he had his motorhead shirt on and he was telling me about how loud they were. And I thought, wow, Latin, that's a pretty cool shirt. It's got this, the snaggle, snaggle tooth, um, fixture on it. 
And he's talking, I was like, what? This seems like something my parents would hate. Maybe I should listen to this some more. <laughs> yeah, those shirts are iconic. Every every time someone has a Motorhead shirt on, you know, you look at it. They're all they're unique. They have that logo that has that iconic logo that they have, and the lettering of the of the letters in the name of Motorhead. And you go on their website where you can still buy shirts, or go on whatever website to buy a Motorhead shirt. And just like Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden probably has more because they're just out of control when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. But Motorhead has a lot of shirts over the years. And, you know, based on the period of what you wear with Motorhead, you can tell when someone got into Motorhead or yeah. when yeah. the moment. Um, it's always a great conversation whenever you see someone wearing wearing the Motorhead No Remorse shirt or you see, you know, the Overkill shirt or the Bomber shirt. Just a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, and 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 I didn't know until a little while later after I really started digging into it that I had missed the classic lineup. Uh, but because about 1983, 84, I think 84 is when that, um, maybe it was 83, when that, that compilation of No Remorse came out. Um, and I'm not a big fan of, of greatest hits or, or compilation albums like that, unless you can get something cool off of them that you can't get anywhere else, and that had killed by death on it. And so I started listening to it, and a lot of material on there actually comes from the classic period. And then I realized that, oh, that 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 really is a power trio that, that started off in the first, what, five, six albums, something like that. Um, and, you know, I was, I was as I was thinking about how do you describe Motorhead to some, assuming there's somebody out there that wouldn't know anything about Motorhead, what would I say to help describe what the music is like? And I think that if you go back to the... Um, was it like 86 or so with the Orgasmatron album that had that train on it that has um, the, the Snaggletooth um, sort of emblem as the head of the train. And it, it looks like it's barreling down the track straight to hell. I was like, yeah, that's kind of what Motorhead sounds like. If I were to describe Motorhead's music, I would say it's Chuck Berry on steroids. Because even though it inspired a lot of metal bands, right? Um, you know, everyone from Metallica to whomever, they still have a very punkish yet rock and roll approach to their music. I mean, let me all would say we're a rock and roll band. Right. And they really are. I mean, when you look at, the, I mean, you can hear the punk in it, but if you hear Chuck Berry, you know, slay on guitar and do, you know, Maybelline and all that kind of stuff. And then you put inject steroids into it, make it louder and harder and a little heavier. I mean, it's Motorhead, you know, I mean. Yeah. And his, uh, both his vocal style and the way he played the bass, which is different from the way virtually everybody else that plays the bass. Yeah. I mean, he was almost using it as, as kind of the rhythm guitar of the band with Fast Eddie Clark uh, playing the lead. And he always had that very high in the mix sounds that that bass was quite distinctive. It always had the distortion on it. He had that Rickenbacker that he always played. And um, it really like jumped out of the mix so that it, it caught your attention as something that was different from your average bass player's method. Yeah. He had a, a great sense of uniqueness to him. Absolutely. Um I remember when he passed, I think Getty Lee of Rush 
made a social media post about his uniqueness. And yeah, I mean, he had a distinct sound that you knew it was him on bass and just the way he played it and the way he approached it. Um, but that classic lineup that you mentioned is such an underrated band and Motorhead is such an underrated entity, right? You know, and, and, and this album is such an underrated live album too, because not a lot of people include it in discussions of great live albums. But when you think of Lemmy and Fast Eddie Clark and Phil Taylor, the filthy animal, I mean, they were just balls to the wall energy. Like I said, it was just incredible. I mean, when you think of where the name came from, Motorhead, it's about speed addicts. You know, right. that's what they used to call that. And when you hear their music and you hear what they're about, it, it's such a perfect name that embodies their, you know, that, that really embodies their music. I think whenever I hear the word juggernaut, Motorhead kind of comes to mind. I mean, that's, it kind of describes the, um, both the straight ahead method of their performance and the intensity and the way they went through their, their career. Um, it's, there was like, they weren't concerned about any side issues going on. It was like, they were straight ahead in your face. Uh, and that really comes out well, I think on this album, I was thinking about the fact that they, they were a trio and because you don't have, you've only got the, the guitar drums and bass. It's, you don't have some of the complications that might come with other live acts with balancing some of the sound. It's, it's the three elements of it that are right there. Uh, but it's a pretty good sounding album for a live recording. Um, and I know that the, it's taken from about four or five different concerts, but it's a pretty even sound throughout. It doesn't really feel like you're transitioning too much. And so the production on this album is pretty good, especially since it came from, uh, 1981. Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. Well, think of the classic lineup. And now none of them are alive. They're all gone. Yeah. Sad in itself um, because they made such a contribution to rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. Um, Fastity Clark, of course, left to pursue uh, Fastway, which was a great band and a band that really never got off the ground like I think they should have. I think they were extremely talented. That debut Fastway album um, should be regarded as one of the greatest debut rock albums of all time. Classic. Absolutely incredible. Um, but there was a magic with the with the original three. And there were moments later on, too, when they had the replacements come in. And, you know, the last lineup with Phil Campbell and Mickey D., of course, you know, had had some really good stuff. I mean, their their later albums were were awesome as well. But when you hear those original three records that lead up to this live album, if you've never if you've never listened to Motorhead, one of the biggest things people say is why they can't get interested in them is their is Lemmy's voice. And as I've grown in my music taste, my rock music taste. I, I think more and more that yes, um it can be challenging, but I think it's also kind of a cop out because not every voice is going to be clean like Freddie Mercury's or Steve Perry's or Steven Tyler's or Robert Plant. 
And I've really grown to like the voices that have the personalities, like a Lemmy, like a Bon Scott. You know, the voices that maybe aren't considered great with range or, you know, they don't have the Freddie Mercury depth to it. But there's something to be said, you know, even Getty Lee, you know, obviously he's got that high pitch and he, you know, has some some range, but it's very unique sounding. I, I do like that stuff because it's it's almost like obviously we know the voice is an instrument, but it's it's a unique instrument. It's not something that you hear. And yes, it t- may take your ears a little bit to warm up to it, but if you keep listening, you get the attitude of Motorhead because that's a lot what it is. It's all at, similar to ACDC where it's all attitude. Um, you do grow your appreciation. Your appreciation grows with every listen because the stuff is just kick ass and top notch. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, if you if you think about the, the style of music that, that Motorhead represented, I don't know how you do these songs with something other than Lemmy's voice. Right. Because it fits perfectly with the way this music is played. And I was actually, it's it's within the last 24 hours, Turbo and I had a a brief conversation on on Twitter, Twixter, Twixter or whatever the heck it is now, um, about the the new album that uh, the Neptune Power Federation just released, the Australian band, that's all covers. And they have a cover of Killed by Death on there. And I listened to it, and I thought, this is really well done, good production, great playing, because they're a very uh, polished band. And I'm like, but, but I miss Lemmy's voice. I mean, the singer has this beautiful, uh, it's a female singer, beautiful voice, carries this clear tone, and I'm like, I want Lemmy. <laughs> Killed by Death, first of all, has to be the greatest title of a song. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Yeah. Such a badass title, "Killed by Death," and the song is absolutely phenomenal. Um, but yeah, you're right. I can't. I cannot hear Motorhead without hearing that. Yeah, grovel of Lemmy's voice that is just so raw and so pure because it's all attitude and it's not a voice with a lot of range, but it's just it, it is how it's supposed to be. Yeah, and. When you when you factor in just the talent behind the band and the way the band was, the band was notorious for their partying ways. Um, I mean, this band is is probably the most authentic hard rock heavy metal band to ever exist. And when you I, listen, you, yeah, you listen to it, and you can you can smell the cigarettes and the whiskey. Yes, as you're yes. Thing. yes. <laughs> there there is nothing fake. Or bullshit about Motorhead. Yeah, it's there. There's no smoke and mirrors. There's no frills. It's picking up their instrument, plugging in, and melting your face. Yeah, and there's there's just no glam about it. I mean, look at Lemmy. He's he's not the most attractive man that that lived, and none of those guys are. All those guys look like you don't want to meet those guys at two a.m. You know, <laughs> God forbid what, what will happen, but. Just, just, there's just an authenticity about all three of them in that original lineup in that band. And, and carrying that through was Lemmy for all the years. Didn't care about trends. Didn't care about teasing their hair up or doing any of that stuff. They were going to make the music regardless of what was popular out there. And that's what makes them so special and so, and so great. Yeah. You talk about no nonsense and the album is kind of presented in that same way where, 
you don't have these big long pauses in between songs right. where the singer sits there and, and spiels on and on and you're not listening to music. It's like straight from one song to the next. He'll usually he'll frequently say something like, uh, this is a song that's, that's dedicated to maybe somebody in the band or he'll make some quip about the title of the song. But it's not a delay between the, the song. It's just a very brief comment and then right into the next one. Absolutely. That's it took the words right out of my mouth. It's when you're listening to this album, I was able to to revisit it over the last few days. I hadn't listened to it in a few years. And yeah, I mean, like between each song, this is a song called Motorhead. This is yeah. Bomber. <laughs> I mean, there's no interaction with the crowd. I think the only interaction was when they when they uh, introduced We Are the Road Crew. Uh, yeah. But that was even brief, too, as well. And that was just, I think, one of the roadies screaming into a mic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it does capture what Motorhead is all about. What I love about this album is, again, the authenticity. And I know I've said that before on a lot of albums, but when you listen to this, you hear the mistakes, you hear the rawness of it and with some of the other live albums that we've talked about all great all classic all legendary live albums there's probably there probably was a little bit of a fix in the studio right i mean every band has pretty much admitted that they had to go in the studio and re-record the only thing you can't re-record on a live album is the drums that's that's really the only thing you can't re-record but yeah i mean this is just um just total, you know, like I, I always describe ACDC as three chords and a set of balls. And this is pretty much the same. I mean, yeah, it's and that, attitude. And the, the, the starting song on it, Ace of Spades, the intro track, at the very beginning, you can almost not realize that you're listening to a live album at first because you don't have someone coming out there and introducing them. You don't have that. A, a volume swell of the crowd before the band starts playing. It's just straight into it. And it's not until the song is over that you hear the response from the audience that you actually realize that that was a live performance that you just listened to. Exactly. Um, I noticed that when I revisited it because we've been talking about a lot of different live albums and they all have that, like you said, that swell of the crowd yeah. noise and some of them have introductions and some of them don't. And uh, yeah, you just you you hit play on No Sleep Till Hammersmith and Ace of Spades just starts playing. You're like, is this live? Is this the right album? And it is, but it's a unique way to start off a live album. And it just ca it captures the crowd. Lemmy's voice is not always kind of centered, you know, audio wise and sonically. It's kind of like out out there, not on the mic. Yeah. So but that's cool because it kind of gives you that feel you're at the show um phil taylor's um drumming is got an overkill rob yeah yeah that is the energy of his drums on on overkill is out of this out of this world yeah and if you if you think about they start with ace of spades and that is basically the quintessential motorhead song if there's yeah if you point to what's the best example of Motorhead, it's that song. It is a great song. The lyrics, um, from what you can get from them, uh, kind of speak to that living on the edge of the Wild West, sort of, mm -hmm. uh, which comes along with the Ace of Spades album cover to a certain extent. 
And it, it just, it gives you everything that the motorhead's all about right there from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in those first three songs that start off with Ace of Spades are all recorded, um, on the same show on March 30th, 1981. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all, um, that's all from the same, same show. And like after Ace of Spades, it goes into Stay Clean and Metropolis which um are great songs to continue that energy but again you get through these three songs and you're like it hasn't even been 10 minutes and you're done with like three songs it's like <laughs> and you're, probably, it's like, you're kind of exhausted already <laughs> yeah it's but it's but it's so so much energy it's just off yeah. the charts energy and it's just man it's just an incredible incredible experience when you start listening to this album is this the album that you know you'd recommend to someone who wants to check out Motorhead? Yes and no. Um, if not, no sleep till Hammersmith. I would check out the debut, which is good. Yeah. Um, and I would also you know like start out Ace of Spades or Overkill. Yeah, I agree. Those are the three that I would start off with. Yeah, and that second song, Stay Clean, was off Overkill, which was the yeah. seventy-nine release. But one of the cool things about it is. Lemmy actually has a little bass solo in, in the in the song uh, as you're listening to it. And you can hear, I mean, it's very um, identifiable as him playing just from, from the tone alone, if nothing else, where, with that, uh, like, as I said, high in the mix, um, always distorted. He never varied his bass tone. Uh, it, was, it wasn't one of those, like, people that tinkered with the tone from song to song. Neither did Fast Eddie Clark either. I mean, they had a, they had a sound that defined everything that they did. Um, and stay clean is right in the middle of that sound. Uh, this album, you know, did peak, um, on the UK album charts. Um, I forget it peaked at, uh, number one. Number one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and this is, this is what I'm talking about. Like, you know, it peaked at number one and the, the American audience was, largely oblivious to this band at this point right i mean they really weren't on mtv which would just begun around 81 82 um they're obviously not really played on rock radio because no one really knew what the hell they were listening to but here they are in the uk you coming from that new wave of british heavy metal which some people connect them with some people don't depending on the rock historian that you talk with some people say they came before some people they say that they were a catalyst of it. So um it's all depends on who you talk to. But you know, coming from that period of music, which I'm a huge fan of, the new wave of British heavy metal era, um they did play with a lot of those bands on tours. They played with with right. Tank, which is kind of like a junior version of Motorhead. If you really want to get into that band, it's very Motorhead-esque. You know, they play with bands like Holocaust and Death Angel. They play with pretty much everybody in that scene at the time. And Lemmy had come from the band Hawkwind um, before they disbanded. Um, and he, I think, was kicked out of the band because of drug use. He got busted, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he got busted. So, you know, he started this band Motorhead. They come out with these three albums prior to this, and then they released a live album because it really kind of was still the thing to do after your third album. Yeah. You know, a lot of bands were releasing stuff like that after three or four albums, I know Kiss did. Um, 
trying to think. I don't know if Aerosmith released theirs after their third album, or maybe it was after Toys in the Attic. I want to say, or, when it was, or maybe it was after um, Rocks. Yeah, yeah, maybe whatever it was. But you know, it was the third, fourth, fifth album that bands were releasing albums, and you know, obviously it was the right decision because it peaked at number one more so than any other album they've done before. And again, it opened up audiences to kind of go back, which is kind of what it did for Kiss and a lot of other bands too. UFO, you can say that too, was Strangers of the Night opened up a lot of doors for them and going back to their catalog and people buying their albums. So it really was a thing in the 70s and the early part of the 80s to release a live album. And I don't know why that ever went away. No one's been really able to answer that question as to why live albums pretty much after Iron Maiden's Live After Death kind of like weren't weren't in existence. I mean, whether you like the bands or not, Def Leppard never released a live album. Van Halen never released a live album. Uh, Motley Crue never did. None of those big bands from that period, that decade, ever released anything. And Maiden had theirs. And then, of course, Rush sprinkled in a live album after every few albums. And Priest had Priest Live, even though they released unreleased, uh, they released unreleased, unleashed in the East in the 80s or 1980. Um, it just became a thing that just went away for no reason. And I, I don't understand. Yeah. And, and as you talked about before, on uh, a lot of these albums that we're talking about, the live album really was kind of the definitive moment of when um, a wider audience suddenly became aware of the band. Um, mm-hmm. And that certainly is true here as well. And then in, you're right. It fell out of being in vogue um, at some point in the uh, mid to late eighties. And I don't know if it's the advent of technology and um, the greater ease to which you could overdub things to where people became more accustomed to wanting to hear something more polished. I think that certainly to my, to, for my tastes, a lot of the things that I like about live albums is the the grittier attack that you can hear on the guitars, and in the like the late eighties, there was a lot of synthy stuff that probably wouldn't really translate that much to a live audience as well. Uh, I think, and I, and I think that these days, I have seen a fair number of live albums uh, start to come out again. I'm actually, if I look to see how many I've gotten this year, I've got one, two, three, four, five. Six. I have seven new live albums that I've acquired. That were, have been released this year, so I'm very happy to see that. Um, but there's, it's, I think it's probably with the focus on sounding perfect for whatever that means, and the probably the expense of recording a live album. It may be harder now to do that than to put together something with your own equipment in your living room because everybody has this technology at their fingertips now. So I don't know if that's playing a role or not, but I'm, I'm happy to see the live album is not completely dead, even if it has faded from its once glory that it had. Yeah. I don't know how much it cost to make a live album back in the eighties or in the, in the nineties as well, versus going in the studio and making an album. I would think a studio to go in a studio would cost way more. Yeah. Do. Back then I think so too. Yeah. Right? But but now I just think that a lot of technology is maybe I mean the big names are still going to use the best producer on the best equipment and the best studio, but people can put out much more passable things on their own now than they could in the past. And so I really don't know how much that's affecting it. Yeah, I think there was a magic element about 
hearing that live album. And when you think of those big bands in the in the 80s, whether it was Motley Crue or whether it was Van Halen or whoever it was, I think they missed out in having a timestamp yeah. of, of the band at its peak. You know, for Van Halen especially to never release anything live until the video live without a net, which I don't understand why that's never been released on an album yeah. format because it's such a great recording. Um, and, and it's a great document of Eddie. I mean, that eruption solo on live without a net, it was absolutely incredible, but to not do it after, you know, the fair warning album or not do it after women and children's first album or even 1984. Um, and then even, you know, even though the show was sloppy um, at the us festival, uh, incredibly sloppy um you know to not have a document a recording of a band at its peak is just to me really disappointing especially from a band that that um made its chops playing like backyard parties in pasadena yeah. and really was part of the whole live experience from the ground up and so you're right yeah i think when you talk about live albums in the 80s unless i'm wrong and forgetting something you had Maiden, you had Priest. Dokken released their live album at the end of the 80s, which which I thought was it's very underrated, too, as well. Uh, Scorpions, of course, with Worldwide Live, which was a big album. Um, Rush, of course, had theirs. I just think that, for whatever reason, it just didn't make any sense. I mean, a perfect time for Def Leppard to release a live album was that gap between Pyromania and Hysteria. Yeah. You know, to kind of keep fans you know, interested or keep fans aware of the band. I mean, obviously hysteria was such a big album. Maybe it didn't matter, but to have those bands that come through again, whether you like them or not, whether you like their music, I mean, Metallica didn't release anything live either until yeah. they came out with the binge and purge um, box set. They yeah. They, they didn't have a, a true bonafide live album. They did have a lot of live recordings that got stuck on, um, like, um, imports or yeah. some, some singles. Like if you get the old one single, it has like three or four live songs on it. So, but a lot of them, the sound quality, um, isn't really great. And a lot of them are, are like bootleg material where you, you it's, it's going to be hit or miss as to how great it comes through to the listener. Uh, but yeah, there, there certainly are some uh, catalogs that have that void that um, should be filled by something like this album. Yeah, I, I think when you talk about Metallica, their box sets that they've released have yeah. several shows, three or four shows that they put out in these box sets, these anniversary editions of, you know, done Kill 'em All, Ride the Lightning, and um, uh, Master of Puppets. And I'm assuming it's, I don't know if they've done Injustice for All. I don't think they've have yet, but, um, yeah, just like you said, to not have that in their catalog as a diary entry of the band, like, Hey, this is us at our peak. Um, I think, I think a lot of bands should have, should have taken direction on that. Yeah. it's, It's funny since, since we're talking about Metallica, this actually plays right into a note that I made about the third song on uh, No Sleep Till Hammersmith, that being the uh, Metropolis, there is a, there's something very definitive about the way that Fast Eddie Clark used the wah pedal. Um, and every time I hear, I think, did Kirk Hammett 
listen to that. Is that what inspired him to use the law so much? Because you hear it all over his playing. That's um, a good point. And, and a lot of it sounds, you have the, the rapid fire. There are some signature riffs that Fast Eddie always used, that, that Kirk Hammett seems to have something right in that same ballpark. I really wonder how much influence Fast Eddie Clark's playing had on Kirk Hammett. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. You can make the argument, too, that, you know, this is really, and I know I, compared their music to Chuck Berry on steroids, but they influenced so many bands that in the thrash movement, whether you just said, you know, Metallica, you know, Slayer, Anthrax, you know, they all talk about Motorhead as being a huge influence on them throughout their career, especially in the beginning, that even more so than any other band in the new wave of British heavy metal movement, whether it's Diamond Head, I mentioned Tank, Holocaust, Death Angel, you know, a lot of those bands, uh, Motorhead really is the kind of the bridge from the Zeppelin Sabbath Deep Purple era to the thrash movement, right? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, here are these three iconic bands that, you know, Led Zeppelin's considered more rock and roll, but Sabbath and 
and Deep Purple were really intricate in the heavy metal movement. When you've got this band Motorhead, and then it goes boom right into Thrash. And I guess you can also put Maiden and, and Judas Priest in there, but with the attitude and the rawness, you can't dispute Motorhead's contribution and influence on these bands. Yeah, and I think Lemmy was. I, I saw something in an interview that he was a little dismissive of connecting Motorhead to Thrash, but I don't think that Thrash comes into being if Motorhead's not there. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, not, you know, it's just with the pace of the music, yeah, the rawness and everything. I mean, it's got a huge connection to it, and you, and I don't know if you can really deny it. I mean, you know, it's kind of like uh, Zeppelin. You know, Zeppelin doesn't do a lot of interviews with anything connected to heavy metal. Anything that has metal in the title of something, Zeppelin refuses to do it. They just don't want to be associated with, with metal. And I don't know. I mean, whether they whether they want to believe it or not, they are connected to it, right? I mean, you know, you can talk about the Stairway to Heavens and everything, but when you listen to a song like Achilles' Last Stand, or if you listen to Cashmere with that constant driving beat, you know, even though it's not thrash, it, it's a it's part of that that movement. It's part of that sound of just yeah, that got, monotonous drumming and monotonous beat. You get that that pedal tone sound that, that thrash is well known for, albeit yeah. at a much higher rate, a uh, much greater tempo than you get from something like Cashmere. But uh, yeah, that that use of like, I mean. You, Frequently, it's the low E string on the guitar that, that everything comes back to that that repeated E or or something else. But um, yeah, I guess you can trace the roots back to that. And and I think Motorhead is just as influential in bringing about uh, the development of thrash by incorporating the speed with that prior approach to having a recurring note as the theme throughout the song. After Metropolis, the album goes into the Hammer. And then Iron Horse, Born to Lose, the hammer off the legendary Ace of Spades album, and Iron Horse, Born to Lose off of the debut Motorhead. What I like on the listing of the music and the um, the set list is they don't have an an exact date for Iron Horse, Born to Lose. And if you know anything about New Wave of British Heavy Metal and how a lot of these bands recorded in the studios they used, they were very sloppy when it came to a lot of things on the production end of the music and i guess that adds an element of personality to the songs i mean you listen to some of these new wave of british heavy metal um albums the 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 mix isn't always good um and it's i i enjoy stuff like that because i can still feel what the what they're trying to do but again with that era in the uk the studios and who's ever responsible for doing whatever the liner notes or whatever, there really never was a great way or they never had a great way to document what they were doing. Yeah. You talk about iron horse born to lose. That's probably my second favorite motorhead song. Um, it's, it's definitely up there in the top five. It's off the debut album. Um, and I think that the live version here is the version that appeared on that No Remorse compilation. They had a few live cuts that were on there, and I'm pretty sure, based on, on the way he talked about it being dedicated to all the angels in hell, that that's the same version that's on the No Remorse um, album. And, and yeah, you're right. This is the only song that didn't appear in the original incarnation of this album from those four shows. 
And then you've got uh, No Class um, into Overkill. No Class is one of my favorite Motorhead songs. Um, it was recorded on the 28th of March from the Overkill album. And then it goes into Overkill, which, like I mentioned, um, the energy of Overkill on the studio version is inc- is crazy. On the live version, it is just, it's wow. I mean, it's absolutely wow. I mean, like, this yeah. is a song that if you hear, in my opinion, with Overkill, you stop what you're listening to, you rewind it, you click back, you don't really rewind anything anymore. But you go back to the song, you listen to it a second time before you move on. Yeah, I think that Overkill is something that's, it has an element to it that's not quite expected when you're listening to Motorhead songs. Is It has that kind of like that break right at the end before the outro that changes things. And you're not used to such things in Motorhead albums because usually you want like three minutes in a cloud of dust. But it stops all of a sudden and then has like this theme that's similar to the beginning of the song and then leads to Fast Eddie's outro solo. Yeah, that outro is so iconic too. Yeah, I mean, really, just when you think the song is over, it kicks in again. Um, yeah, I, I love that moment on that song. <laughs> I mean, it, it is such a classic song. It's such a great song for new Motorhead fans to listen to because it really does pull you in, and it, and it doesn't doesn't let you go for for the entirety of the song. It really keeps you engaged. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We moved to "We Are the Road Crew." This is my favorite Motorhead song. Um, Great tune. I, 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 this is a song where it's dangerous for me to listen to it while driving, um, <laughs> because it will it will make me more aggressive than I should be. Um, it has the the soloing that, that Eddie does on this song is different from the studio versions, and the studio version is if there's anything you can point to as a solo being like very identifiable with a Motorhead song to me, it's the We Are the Road Crew. And there's something about that relentless snare on the beat that just like it grabs you and doesn't let you go until you get that pause with the signature riff in the song. And then it's right back into it. Um, it pulls you along. And it's like this. If this song doesn't get your heart going, go listen to Lawrence Welk or something. I agree. I, I love the way there is, like I said, in the beginning of this conversation, an interaction with the crowd and I think it's a road crew member that comes up and scream scream into the mic that again, motorhead fans are eating it up in this, uh, you know, at this, at this performance. Um, and it just, again, you know, it sets the tone for, for the song. Um, what, I like about live albums that do this is the the album is recorded on multiple dates and they keep the crowd noise continuous, right? I always get annoyed with a live album that has a fade out of the crowd and then a swell of a different performance within the same album. In my opinion, just have the crowd noise. I don't care if it's artificial crowd noise or <laughs> recorded during the, the concert. Keep that crowd noise going. I don't want to hear a crowd fade out. I don't want to, I don't want to do it. I don't want to hear it. So, um, I like the fact that they maintain that throughout the album. Yeah. I mean, that, 
you're right. That does detract from the live experience. I mean, the crowd around you doesn't fade out between songs. So why would it on the album? Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. I mean, no, no um, we are the road crew is, is a great, great motorhead tune. I've, so. I've always wanted to have be in a band that played this song. I don't know anybody that could sing it, but uh, I mean, maybe if you cocked your head up at like the 45 degree angle that Lemmy did, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure what inspired that or how he discovered that that could be his singing style. To me, it looks like something that would give you lifelong neck pain. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But uh, this, this is a song that I've always wanted to play. <laughs> uh, the next song we go into is Capricorn, which is Lemmy describes as the slow song of the night, which yeah. is slow for Motorhead. Um but again, it's another jam off the Overkill album. And then it goes into Bomber, which is another iconic song from Motorhead. Yeah, you're talking about Capricorn. I had this really weird thought as I was listening to it. Um, I hope that our dog's barking in the background. I hope he's not coming through too much. Um, the uh, On Capricorn, there's there's like a a couple of chords and I guess it's like a, a dominant seventh kind of chord that's being used where I, I had this strange thought. If you took the song, took all the gain off the guitars, made it put like a bunch of a chorus effect into it and changed the sing to like this really smooth, clean sing. I almost feel like this could be like an Atlanta rhythm section song just because of the chord structure, um, which it was just a strange thought to have about a Motorhead song, but there, there's like something about the chords that are slightly less than intuitive uh, for this style of song. But um, it's uh, it's and they, he's got like a lot of delay on the vocals that he doesn't really have on the other songs in the album. So the song kind of stands out as a track that's that's a bit different. And maybe that's the slow song that we're talking about. So yeah, yeah, I just find it funny that you know he calls the song the slow song. Yeah, <laughs> performance, and uh, it obviously, obviously was not that uh, that slow. It's slow for Motorhead, as I said. But <laughs> you know, Bomber gets the crowd. You know, continues there towards the end of the performance here on the live album, and then of course it ends with the song Motorhead, which was pretty indicative of, of a lot of new wave of British heavy metal bands to to write a song with their band name, whether it was Iron Maiden had that too as well. Um, I believe Death Angel did that. Um, but there's a whole bunch of, um, of new wave of, of British heavy metal bands that did write a song after their name, um, to, and put on the album. I don't know why they did that. It was a thing back then, especially in the UK, but the song Motorhead is, is simply genius. It really is a great tune, simple to the point and just kicks your ass. Well, if my opinion is sought on why bands named a song after themselves, I think I could I would point to Black Sabbath as being the reason everybody did it. Um, the it's it's interesting. The Bomber was the only track from that album included here, um, and then Motorhead. I mean, you can really tell where there's a a a punk influence in the band with their self titled song. I, I think that comes through probably better here than on any of the other songs that are included on this album. The album finishes up, like I said, with the song Motorhead. It was recorded over a couple performances at Leeds and Newcastle on the Short, Short, Sharp Pain in the Neck Tour. I'll repeat that. The Short, Sharp Pain in the Neck Tour. Um, with the exception of, like we mentioned, Iron Horse, Born to Lose, which is from a 1980 show, but 
does not say which show that was from. So it's a collective uh, performance, um, like most al- live albums are. But again, one of the best, one of the best live albums that uh, from the '80s, from that period of hard rock and heavy metal, and uh, just a fantastic recording captures the elements that make Motorhead great. Um, any songs that you would have liked to have seen on this album? Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, I would have, I think, from Bomber, I would have liked to maybe seen Stone Dead Forever uh on there um from overkill maybe no class or damage case you know we were talking about metallica metallica did a pretty good cover of damage case on the uh garage inc album uh so those are the three that that jumped to my mind maybe off of the uh the self-titled debut uh white line fever um those are some of the ones that uh, are the omissions that i maybe would have liked to have seen what about you um Man, that's a tough one. I would say, I think from Overkill, um, I would have liked to have seen that. I'll be your sister, which I would have loved to have heard live. <laughs> I love that. Damage Case, which I love. Love yeah. Damage Case. And Tear You Down. Um. And if I had to go Ace of Spades, I would do I'm sorry. Um if I had to do Motorhead, the debut album, I would uh what's the song that I love on Motorhead? White Line Fever, which yeah. would be great, and yeah. keep us on the road. Yeah, but you, you, go ahead, sir. But they did, you know, they 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 did do, you know, we are the road crew, which is kind of like the same, you know, subject. Right, right. Um, it's interesting if you know how if you go and look at the uh, the Wikipedia entry for a lot of um, well known albums such as these. They usually will list somebody has interested, uh, included the, um, different, uh, releases of the album, different variations. And this one has, uh, at least three, maybe four that are listed. But my version of this album is not one of the ones that they have listed. I, I have a 2008, the version I have is a CD. It's a 2008 release from, uh, Sanctuary Records, uh, that is different from the other list uh, releases that are listed here. It's got, it's a two disc set and it has the first 11 songs that we've talked about. It has then uh, seven bonus tracks that are included from, let me see the 1996 reissue, but then it has another disc that are uh, different versions of uh, a lot of the songs that are included in the original set. And so I find it interesting that this version, this release is not included. Somebody hasn't uh, completed this, this part of the Wikipedia. (laughs) Yeah, there's a, you know, I like the remasters of, um, like when I bought the remasters for No Sleep Till Hammersmith or any of the albums, whether it's Bomber or Overkill, I really like 
the Castle Communications remasters, and I know they're from the 90s and technology did get better, but I really like the packaging on a lot of that stuff too as well. And, you know, the, the, the Sanctuary Records one are, are, are really good too, um, which I do enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's cool to have uh, different versions. So I can see when I listen to the the version that was originally included and bonus edition version of the same song came from a different performance of it. I can usually see why they picked the one they did because it's usually got something um, a little more full sound or the the production's a little more even. Um, but it is interesting to hear variations in the same song between nights. Yeah, yeah, and then when bands used to change up the set list too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were just talking in the group or I saw there was a conversation in the group about the set list for the Aerosmith tour. Yeah. Oh, and, and unfortunately that set list probably won't change that much from night to night on something like yeah. that. But, you know, when I don't see, um, big 10 inch or if I, I, I don't <laughs> see, uh, you know, some of the other great Aerosmith, the old songs. Um, God, what's the song off rocks that I really like looking at promise, um, yeah. stuff like that. And of course, you know, they got to appease the, uh, the fans too, the people that know their hits, right. That really don't know the deep cuts and the deep tracks, but yeah, it's, it's different nowadays where bands don't allow themselves a lot of differences from night to night. Yeah. I saw that list. And as far as I'm concerned, you could never, ever play love in an elevator. And I'd be quite happy with that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean that one, um, Ragdoll, which I'm not too crazy about. Um, Dude looks like a lady. I'm not too crazy about crying and don't miss a thing. Eh, you know, it's nice every once in a while. But I, I was happy to see moving out on the list because that's yeah. that's probably my favorite Aerosmith song. Yeah. No, man. I mean, are they going to stick to their farewell tour? Are they going to reunite in three years? Who knows. But they are up there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you know, that's the thing. Um, but all in all, this is a great album. This is a great album for metal and hard rock fans. It's a great band. And I know, you know, if you, if you were introduced to Motorhead 20, 25 years ago and you were like, man, I don't like this guy's voice. It just doesn't do anything for me. Um, go check it out. You may feel different about it. It may hit you in a different way. Um, the songs are great. The songs are pretty much about the rock and roll lifestyle. You know, there's nothing that's deep in these albums. There's nothing that is, um, you know, once in a while you might get a little bit of more of a, uh, you know, perspective from Lemmy on something different, but most of it's about women, drugs, playing rock music. Um, and that's the, that's what makes Motorhead so beautiful. So awesome. You, you can't have a, a well-running car without the smell of mechanics grease. And that's what this album is for rock and roll. Well, that's a perfect description, dude. <laughs> Thanks. You should, you should, on the next, on the next reissue for this, you should write that. <laughs> that is perfect. I'm not sure they're going to seek me out for that, but thank you. <laughs> so you should send them a message. Okay. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, please check it out. No sleep till Hammersmith. Um, recorded over a few nights in uh, the UK. Um, those nights are. Let me just pull up the notes here on the show. 
Uh, it was recorded um, at the Newcastle City Hall on March 30th. And the, where's the one at Leeds? At the Leeds Queen's Hall on March 28th. So uh, those were the two shows that it came from. And then, of course, there was the um, the uh, show that no one knows which show, like the song, the song right. that no one knows where it came from. But, yeah, that's No Sleep Till Hammersmith and another live album review on The Hook Rocks. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, we got to figure out which one we want to do next. But we do have some options, of course. We've got a lot of options to continue in the future. So uh, go check it out, go listen, and let us know what you think of the album after you revisit it. Please let us know on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter what you think of the album, what you think of Motorhead. It's been a lot of fun, Jay. Thanks again for doing this. This is cool. Always a pleasure, man. Thanks again for taking the time out of your day to record these with me, and always appreciate it. On to the next one. Sounds good. (laughs) All right, everybody. Another episode of The Hook Rocks. Hope you enjoyed the conversation and discussion. Don't forget to check us out and write us a review of what you think of the show and what you think of the podcast. Reviews do matter for podcasters, so please take the time. Once again, thanks for stopping by. Take care of each other. Be safe, and we will talk soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 